Our speaker this evening is one we've looked forward for a long time. Uh, David Gibbs III is not a stranger here. It's been several years, five years or so since he spoke here. Last year he launched a new ministry, a new organizational national center for life and liberty based out of Dallas, Texas. That's where he and his wife Karen live and they have four children. I've asked him to tell us a little bit more about his family if he would do that. But he's the author of five books, very busy. He has a weekly radio program on the Moody radio station as well. He just came down from New York yesterday and he's spoken Charlotte this morning. He's here this evening. He carries a very busy life. He lived in our area for three years because he graduated from Duke Law School, so he knows our area. Now, by the way, David, there's something important. This morning in the morning service, our outreach pastor, Mike Malpas, had some folks up here, missionaries here with Campus Crusade over at NC State. And we talked about the ministry, that crew, formerly Campus Crusade, on the campus there at NC State. And in the part of that, Mike, being an alumnus of NC State, did say that then there are the other two lesser schools in the area. This may be your moment to defend Duke, all right? All right. Let's welcome David Gibbs to the pulpit, shall we? Well, I always defend and say God doesn't like red devils, but blue devils, if properly translated, mean angel. You know, and so, you know, I, but uh, enjoyed very much my time at Duke. Uh, the Lord opened that up, actually. It was a little bit of a miracle. I went to uh, two years at Cedarville, two years to Liberty, and then uh, through a sequence of events, got a full scholarship to Duke Law School. And uh, God opened that door for me where I was able to go into ministry and so enjoyed the time very much. And it is certainly an honor to be back and to be with you this evening. I want to introduce my family who's not here, but he mentioned them. We were blessed with four children. When they were little, we had a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and then we had twins. Four kids, ages three and under. Now, how many think that house was hopping for a while, all right? Uh, A little crazy. Uh, They're older now, as you might imagine. Uh, My oldest is uh, 18, and then my next daughter's 17. Boy-girl twins are 15. And uh, how many here are parents? Let me see the parents, all the moms and dads. Most of the adults here are parents. Have you ever been tempted to murder your own kid? (laughs) The, the, The twins were about five and they were driving along with my wife in the vehicle and Danielle the little girl twin just makes this big bold declaration from the back seat she goes mommy I've only got one mommy but I've got two daddies and for just a moment this comment troubled my wife a little bit (laughs) trying to figure out what the little girl was referring to well you might guess she was referring to her heavenly father but here's how she said it she said mommy I've got a heavenly father, and I have a homely father. (laughs) So as Danielle's homely father, uh, it is certainly a pleasure to be here. The National Center for Life and Liberty. Now, it's a long name, but just remember NCLL. Uh, most of you have heard of the NCAA. That's the college sports world. NCAA, we're defending life and liberty across America. We have offices in Washington, Florida, and in Dallas, and we are defending through five different liberty centers. One of those centers is defending the local church. And how many believe the local church is under attack in America? And it's not just your right not to be sued when you haven't done anything wrong or just to have your property or to use your land. Those are issues that come up. But I think most of you would acknowledge at this point that the gospel of Jesus Christ is under attack in America. That simple message that there is only one way to heaven. Now, how many of you believe there is only one way to heaven? And that's through Jesus Christ. But we're in a society right now that doesn't want to hear that. They would like to hear that Jesus is a way. They're not interested in hearing that Jesus is the only way. And you know, if it was just our opinion, how many believe it would be sort of arrogant to say we have it all figured out and people don't? But when you say, no, it's the word of God. And we are proclaiming through the churches the message of Jesus Christ's salvation. uh, That is creating tension in our culture. 
Uh, we have cases where kids come to church and they get saved. And by the way, how many believe they should get saved at church? They should hear the gospel. That's why they're coming, many of them. And they go home to their unsaved mother and they say, Mom, I'm going to heaven when I die. And the mother says, I am too. And the child goes, no, you're not. And the mother says, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, you you would think if you sent your child to a Baptist church, they might just hear about Jesus. But we're in a society right now where parents are kind of confused and don't always understand. And they say, well, you got to be born again, mom. You got to trust Jesus. You got to, and tries to explain it. These mothers, rather than listening, now go talk to lawyers and say, you've ruined my child. You told him he would die and burn forever unless he became like you people. Now, we're winning those cases. How many are glad we're winning those cases? But very tragic that they're even being brought in this country. And the rights of the church are under attack in this country. We also have a Center for Christian Education where we defend Christian schools and colleges and those that want to have distinctively Christian education. Uh, We have a center that helps homeschoolers as well and defends parental rights. And I think most of us would recognize that the rights of parents are under assault in this culture. Uh, There are those that would say the government should control all education and really decide what's best for the children. But you look to the Bible, and it says, number one, these children are from the Lord. How many believe God gives the kids? And then they're entrusted to the parents. And the parents should, as our Supreme Court has said, direct and control their upbringing, make decisions for them. Well, there's many that are fighting back against that. Now, I grew up in a little different era. How many remember when people not your parent could spank you? Yep, think about it. Parents, you know, you'd get handed off to neighbors, you'd get spanked. Uh, You'd go to church, you'd get spanked. You'd go to schools, you'd get spanked. You'd go to Walmart, total strangers would smack you. I mean, it was a a child-beating frenzy. We walked around with permanent twitches. And, you know, parents always had clever lines like, well, you know, if, if we spank you by mistake, we're getting you for something you got away with, you know. And, and, and then I would say, you know, I get spanked by somebody, not my parents. I had one prayer in life that my parents wouldn't find out. Because I'd try to explain to my mother that my civil rights had been violated. And she would reviolate my rights. It never worked out for me. It was always a problem. But we're in a society right now where they they want the public schools to be almost like parent-free zones. And and children come in and and make their own decisions and get away from what pastor would preach or what parents would want. And right now we're watching where that is under attack. Uh, We also have a center for life defense where we defend what is your most fundamental freedom, your right to life. Now, historically, if you say life or death cases, you're talking capital punishment. You're talking death penalty cases. And historically in America, that was the case. Somebody was convicted of a crime, murder generally, and properly convicted. They could be sentenced to death. It would be in the discretion of the judge or the jury. But now we have where innocent people may live or die by a court order. Uh, I represented the Terry Schiavo family back in 2005. Some of you remember that case. And and that case uh, holds some sad history for this country. Uh, It was the first case in American history where a judge ordered an innocent person to die. First time we'd ever had a non-criminal death order issued by a judge. And it actually went to our Supreme Court and back twice in 10 days, set some records in all of that. And With all the media attention that descended on that case, there's still phenomenal confusion. Most people say that girl was dead or on life support, and it was kind of a a sad end-of-life story. Uh, I would tell you a couple quick things. Terry was as alive as anybody sitting here. Number two, she wasn't sick. No cancer, no Alzheimer's, nothing in her body ending her life. And number three, she just needed food and water to stay alive. 
Now, how many of you need food and water? Can I see your hand, please? Guess what? That's basic human nourishment. Generally, if you go without food and water, six to seven days, you will expire of dehydration. Terry actually went 13 days, I think, demonstrating a will to live. And that case really has sparked now this whole movement across America where the lives of innocent people are not being properly protected. Now, you say, well, David, I'm not that concerned about it. Let me raise a couple thoughts for your consideration. How many of you have figured out the government has taken over health care? Like it or not, okay, they're, they're kind of working more and more. And I think most of you would acknowledge the government's broke. How many figured that out? Now, we don't have to be real bright, but I think we can get this. Okay, they're running something, and they don't have any money. So what are you going to do? You're going to ration care. The elderly, the disabled, the less than perfect, the handicapped, those that would be expensive are going to get less, which is exactly what happened over in Australia, England, other nations that have done this. You get the rationing of care. I had a trial earlier this year in New York, and I'll tell you, we won the case. The girl is alive today. We're happy about that. But it was a life and death case, and it was a multi-week trial in New York City itself. And I was a little excited to go to New York because during the Terry Schiavo case, New York had great law. I mean, it was very pro-life in its orientation. I was saddened as I prepared and researched and got ready for the trial that New York had changed their law. And I want to just kind of give you kind of a summary of what now the new legal standards are that we're facing across America. Number one, any relative. Now, let's stop right there. How many can think of at least one nutty relative in your family? May I see your hand, please? How many of you are the nutty relative? Okay, that could be. Okay, but any relative. Okay, so this means, you know, cousins down the line, aunts, uncles, you know, second cousins, anybody can go into court. Now, it used to be a lot more limited. It had to be a spouse or a sibling or blood relative. There was a lot more limitation in who could bring these cases. So they're letting anybody walk into court. Number two, the legal standard is not what your wishes are or how sick you are. The legal standard is you're not going to get much better. Now, how many think that's a slippery slope? I look around this room. Some of you aren't getting much better. I mean, you know, it's very subjective. And and it's no problem if you're going to inherit money. And it's no problem if there's a conflict because we do want to kind of expedite these things. And While we won that case in New York, it illustrates where our culture is moving. That that most fundamental life protection, that right to have your life as an innocent person protected, is not being guaranteed in this country like it once was. We know abortion is the law of the land, and 55 million children have not been protected through that procedure. But Terry Schiavo has now opened up the disabled, the elderly, those that are living among us and not having their lives protected. And we're watching where what our founding fathers were concerned about is coming to pass. That if you do not protect innocent life, you really have no true liberty. They came from a culture over in England, most of them, where life and death was in the hand of the king. I mean, if the king said, off with your head, not a good day for you. Because you had no appeals, you had no rights, it was done. So they thought, well, if we're going to come to this nation, we're going to form this new nation, we're going to have freedom, it has to begin with the protection of innocent life. And that's why they talked about life liberty than the pursuit of happiness, that your free speech, your freedom of religion, your right to bear arms, your right to privacy, your equal protection under the law, the other things our constitution would guarantee you aren't going to matter if your government is going to kill you tomorrow. And so they wanted to make sure that innocent life was the core, most fundamental freedom. Tragically now in this country where we have devalued life, And by the way, it's the natural extension of two things, okay? Number one, evolution. How many understand when evolution becomes the standard, life is kind of harsh? I mean, it's survival of the fittest. You know, it's a big cosmic accident. Lots of explosions, things just happened. And so there is almost a harshness to evolution where the weak must be cast aside, the strong survive, that survival of the fittest. It is a natural tendency to then advocate, you know, that people should be allowed to expire even though God isn't ready yet to take them. 
But then number two, we have bought into the quality of life analysis. Now, if we're here tonight, I have a decent quality of life. I can walk around. You notice that. I can speak. I can feel fairly good here tonight. My, my body's behaving itself. And so people would say, well, Mr. Gibbs, you're having a high quality of life. You're, you're able to function and do what you need to do. Now, if I'm here tonight and I, I lose some of that, okay, God takes away my ability to speak or my ability to walk or my ability to function, or maybe I feel like I'm in constant pain. Most of you would say, we hate to see that for you, Mr. Gibbs. We'd hate for your quality of life to go down. But even if your quality of life goes down, how many understand your sanctity of life remains unchanged? That you are special, you're set apart, you're made in the image of God. And so we need to recognize that in our society, even in church circles, sometimes people will say, well, I would never want to live like that. Uh, How many understand you don't know till you're in that condition? But then number two, is that for you to decide or is that for God to decide? And there are moments where our society starts buying into not protecting innocent life. A talking point for your friends, neighbors, those at work, even those that wouldn't believe the word of God. If you don't defend innocent life, you have no other liberty. Another area that we're watching come under attack is government officials that want to name the name of Jesus. You've probably seen some news. Uh, Rowan County got sued here in North Carolina. We are defending that case. It's actually right now up before the Supreme Court. Kind of interesting. There was a case out of New York that was working its way towards the court along with some others. And we're actually representing eight counties. And our co-counsel is representing 56 of the House of Representative members. And we have filed before the Supreme Court to decide whether the name Jesus is constitutional or unconstitutional in America. Now, how many think that's sort of tragic? ACLU of North Carolina, I've talked with them a number of times. I think most of you know that's not a Christian organization. They have taken the position that for any government official, any public official, to name the name of Jesus, they violated the Constitution. Now, how many see the intellectual problem with that? All of our founding fathers, the people that wrote the Constitution, named the name of Jesus. But we're in a situation right now where the history of our nation is being reshaped, reworked. And how many pray the Supreme Court gets it right on that one? Because really, for your children, your grandchildren, any public school officials, anybody that works for the government, this will truly determine whether we have this freedom or not. And so the name of Jesus and public speech is under attack. I'd also tell you that we are watching where, and I think you've seen our Supreme Court, marriage itself by definition is under attack. I think most of you have seen in the news the Supreme Court has come down largely in favor of same-sex marriage. It's being challenged here in North Carolina. A number of your government officials making the determination not to combat it. And you say, well, David, you know, how is... How was marriage defined in America? You know, the reason why America always recognized uh, what we'll call heterosexual, a male and a female, is it was based on the biblical example in the Garden of Eden. You know, people say, well, the Bible had polygamy. The Bible had, you know, all sorts of sin, adultery, and people doing different things. And the Bible does cover the whole landscape of human experience. But if you go back to Genesis 1, that was the perfect time and condition. Before sin entered into the world, that was God's plan. That's why he made Adam and then he made Eve, and that was God's plan. And what our founding fathers said is we want to take what was God's best and we want to incorporate that into our law as our standard. But we're watching now where that is being readjusted and moved like never before. You say, David, you're giving me a little bit of indigestion this evening. What can we do? How can we make a difference? Uh, How many believe we need to pray like never before? Now, you don't even need to turn there. There's a verse most of you know. It's the back part of James chapter 5 and verse 16. And what that verse says is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. And what's that next word? Much. Now, If I asked you tonight, does America need much? 
Yep, America needs much. Uh, does Kerry need much? Absolutely. Does Raleigh Durham, do, do we need much? Do we need God to, to touch and to heal and to do what only God can do? Do we need God to encourage these leaders and to help these judges and these decision makers? We need much from God, but we're not quite yet ready to follow his formula. He doesn't say, you know, I'm a, a rabbit in your pocket or a little lucky charm or something you can just grab at. He says, no, no, it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. You know what effectual is, is where you think it's going to do something, where it, where it has effect, where you have faith that you're not just wasting your time. You're talking to God himself. Fervent, it matters to you. There's some passion. There's some energy to it. If I were to ask you tonight, flip back through your mind through the last year. Go back to August 2012. Can you think of one time where you took an hour? Now, we know what an hour is. That's 60 minutes. It's the length of a longer TV show. Uh, An hour is about half a football game, maybe slightly less than half. And you took an hour and you prayed to God. Now, I'm not talking with a screen in front of you. I'm not talking with earbuds in. But you took an hour. And prayed to God for your nation, for your community, and for your church. Now, don't raise your hand because we wouldn't embarrass any of the good folks that are here. But if you're like most people, you'd say, David, an hour, I mean, that's kind of a long time. And I don't know that I prayed an hour for anything. I mean, maybe at a hospital or something, or maybe you had a crisis. But I don't don't think I ever prayed an hour for my, my nation, my community, my church. Let's shorten it up a little bit. Let's go to 30 minutes. That's a half hour. Most of you know that's the length of a standard television show. Matter of fact, if you were to answer honestly, how many of you watched a 30-minute television show this week you didn't even like? Uh, How many figured out there's a lot of nonsense on TV? I mean, if you figure out swamp people, you're better than me. I, I, you know, now, now Duck Dynasty, that's Christian. You know, they got it all, you know, but... I mean, people, you know, 30 minutes just like that goes flying by and, you know, they, they don't even think about it. And, and, and we'll just, 30 minutes will disappear. And I'm not asking this week, I'm not even asking this month, I'm just asking in the year. Can you personally say, you know, David, I, I took 30 minutes and I prayed for my nation, my community, my church. Now, you say, how would I even do that? Well, Let's break it up. You got three branches of government. You got the president and the governor and their staffs and the executive branch. They probably need 10 minutes of prayer. You, you got the legislature here in Raleigh. You got your congressmen and women in D.C. They need 10 minutes of prayer. And take the judges, state judges, and go also over to the Supreme Court, 10 minutes of prayer. And, you know, 30 minutes would disappear like that. And you haven't even prayed for anything local. You haven't even prayed for your church or any of the needs here. And, you know, we could make the time just fly by. Now, I can keep dropping the time period. I can say 15, 10, 5, and we can get down to a couple minutes. Most people go, oh, yeah, I I prayed at the 4th of July, or I I prayed at a church event, or I prayed around Memorial Day, or I prayed for some veterans, and, and that's wonderful. But how many understand the problem? We want God to do much. We want God to heal our land. We want God to stop the onslaught of evil. We want things to change, but we're not yet ready to get fervent, to get serious about the things of God that unleash him doing much. Now, I I ask you this question, and I, I don't ask it to put you in a sad spirit, but maybe just to challenge you a little bit, what would have to happen in America for you to pray? I mean, I can tell you case stories. You can watch a lot of news broadcasts. Your pastor can stand up here and preach. Other great men of God are in your pulpit. And and you can say, wow, I don't like what I'm hearing. But then we're not ready for that effectual, fervent prayer. I mean, I don't think anybody came here thinking that we would be arrested tonight for holding church. And by the way, how many rejoice? We have that freedom. 
beautiful large campus the Lord's blessed you with here and great outreach, great testimony in the community and people come freely in and out of this campus. But, you know, that, that's a freedom people around the world don't enjoy. A lot of countries, you show up, you get this many Christians in a room and the fear would be the police or the authorities or the regulators would immediately seize the leadership, probably arrest or disperse the people because this would not be allowed. I hope you never lived through that. I hope you never see it. But if you ever showed up and all of a sudden the authorities arrested your leadership and dispersed your service and sent everybody home and you came to sing, you came to hear the preaching, you came to be part of the group and you left the building being told by an authority, leave or be arrested. And as you walk out the door, I hope you never go through that. I'll certainly fight against it. I know your pastor doesn't want that to ever happen. But if we face that in America, I hope you don't. But would you pray then? You know, they they keep changing the definitions. We all would agree that abuse is a horrible thing. Children should be treated with love, honor, respect. But they, they tweak it. All of a sudden, it's abuse to say there's only one way to heaven. It's abuse to say certain conducts are a sin. It's abuse to say the Bible's the word of God. And again, I I hope that wouldn't happen. I certainly wouldn't expect that out of your legislature anytime soon. But the the law changes and, and all of a sudden, God forbid, you find yourself in an America where just telling your child there's only one way to heaven is now all of a sudden subjecting you to potential charges or even the loss of the custody of your own child. I hope you never live with that. I hope you never have to face it. But if you did, could I ask you this question? Would you pray then? And what God says is it's the effectual, fervent prayer that avails much. And I think we all believe in prayer. I mean, if I said, do you believe in prayer? All the hands go up. We all believe in prayer. But that's not my question. My question tonight is, do you pray? Totally different question. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there's a concept you can find, I think, in every book in the Bible. God will bless righteousness, and God must judge sin. And, you know, I think a lot of people ask things of God, but they're not ready yet to turn away from what they know to be wrong. Now, you know, in a church like this, we know how to act and talk and behave. How many here have ever pretended to have your act together better than you got it together? Can I see your hand play? Sure. I mean, that's human experience. I mean, you know, what do you do if you invite somebody over to your house? You clean up your house. Pretend you live like that all the time. <laughs> Wife cooks fancier food. You know, I mean, that's just, you know, feed my husband like this all the time. I mean, because that's just, we want people to think well of us. And that's, that's a human nature. We, we want to, but you know what? I think sometimes we get pretty good at, at hiding our sin. And I'm not touching on any particular sin. I'm just talking general human experience. I mean, if a man came down this floor and sat down and and he was inebriated to the point of drunkenness and could barely walk and and smelled of alcohol and slurred his speech and and as he would move, he would just stagger in a a drunken drift, everybody would say, wow, look at that. That guy's drunk. I mean, he showed up. And you'd see it real quickly. You'd be able to obviously point out he has a problem with all that alcohol in his system. He, he's acting out of his mind. It's easy to see. But we come to church, we look pretty good, but we can hide a lot of things. Uh, how many believe selfishness is pretty easy to hide? Apathy, indifference, pretty easy to hide. We can have people that are sitting here with the sin of materialism just gripping their world, and that's what they're driven by, or, or vanity or pride. A lot of things the Lord talks about that he hates or he despises their sins against him, but we get pretty good at hiding that, and we can even have that in our life and look pretty spiritual. And you know what God says? It's the effectual, you got the faith, it's the fervency, the passion, the energy, prayer of a righteous man or woman, somebody that's turning away from what they know to be wrong, 
That's what's going to unleash much in this country. Look quickly at a verse that I like. I pray every day, Acts chapter 4. I know you've been theming off the book of Acts, but I want to show you this verse because it kind of jumps out at me. And I I don't pray it in a vain repetition, but I, I pray it in a meaningful challenge as sort of my prayer as I go to court or as I take to a pulpit or go into any type of daily activity. And I might encourage you to make this your prayer as well. It's Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. It was the prayer of the early church. And they said, Lord, behold their threatenings. And it continues, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we would speak thy word. How many of you see threatenings all around us? Now, I think it's interesting because what the early church did not do was pray for it to all go away. I mean, it is interesting to me. I don't know about, you know, they're probably more spiritual than I would be. I mean, if I was going to be fed to the lions, my prayer would be the lions would not be hungry that day. Or they would get confused as to who they're throwing in. I would be, and by the way, a lot of Americans pray this way. God, take it away. Take the pain away. Take the persecution away. Take the difficulties away. Take the threatenings away. And, and that's a very human prayer. It, it's a take the problem off of me. I don't want it. But, but you have to recognize that God is sovereign. How many believe God knows what's happening? Nothing that's going on in America is catching him by surprise. And really what's occurring in a lot of measures, is outside of our control. And so here they're acknowledging, Lord, look at all these threatenings. It's a mess. I mean, we might die. We might be incarcerated. We may suffer. We may be martyred. Lord, this is scary stuff. But they didn't pray to take it away. What they prayed is, would you grant unto us as your people that we would be bold? in the face of persecution, to speak the truth of your word. Notice they didn't ask for boldness to proclaim their own opinions. They didn't ask for boldness to share what Paul had taught them or Peter or even great leaders of the day. They said, Lord, we need to boldly speak the truth of your book. How many believe we need a revival of boldness in America? We're in a society right now where a lot of churches have moved away from being bold. And how many appreciate the fact that this church is bold on the issues? That you have a pastor and a leadership team and men in this pulpit that preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of parts of the Bible that are easier to take. They're just happier. They're, they're more palatable. They're less convicting. And, and there are whole ministry programs that try to just build on the popular parts of the Bible. How many believe we need to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God? We need to stand on the entire book. I also believe, number two, we need a revival of boldness in our families. Dads, moms, grandparents, are you boldly declaring the truth? into the hearts and minds of your children. You say, well, David, I don't know. How would I do that? Well, I mean, just ask yourself, when was the last time you prayed with your family? You say, well, how would we do that? Well, I'll give you a little model, get you going, kind of interesting. Get them together, husband, wife, kids, sit them down. Say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Dad goes first, short. These are 30 seconds or less. How many understand sometimes we move into like weird prayer language, you know, <laughs> lots of hedges of protection. You know, we get in all this stuff, you know, there's a, there's a, but no, we're going to start with confession and I, dad, am going first. God, would you forgive me for not leading my family in prayer more often? I should have made this a better priority and I'm glad to be here right now, but forgive me for not emphasizing this more. Okay. Dad's done. Now move to mom. Mom confesses something. How many think it would be interesting what the kids confess? You might learn something. (laughs) Walk it around a little bit. Confession. Then move to adoration or praise. How many believe we need kids to be more thankful today? 
But are we teaching them thankfulness? Just quick, short, what are you thankful for? Something, and, and, and make it different. Don't let them all say, I'm thankful for the same thing over and over again. Make everybody has to think of something different. It can be short. And then, Dad, then move to petition. Move to where you're praying for something. Maybe tonight we're going to pray for America. Maybe one night you're going to pray for your church. Maybe one night you're going to pray for your family. One night you're going to pray for lost people. Whatever you decide, you lead it. But how many believe we need a revival of boldness in the families? where we're emphasizing, making sure that our children, Jesus' disciples said to him what? Teach us to pray. Show us how it's done. Well, dads, moms, are you showing your children? Are they seeing, man, my parents, my family is boldly declaring the truth of the word of God. We need bold churches. We need bold families. And how many believe we need some bold individuals? We're in a society right now where... They talk about groups that are out of the closet. How many have figured out the homosexuals are out? But lots of Christians have climbed in. And we've just gotten comfortable being silent. In some measure, I don't know that we're losing liberties as much as we're just giving them away. We're not looking to to speak and to be bold and to to be the people of influence. You know, statistically, it's kind of interesting Dr. D. James Kennedy was the first one that presented this, and I, I thought it was an interesting thought. You, you want to fix what's going on in America. You want to fix what's going on around the world. If you would say this year, I'm going to try to reach one person. Now, we know God saves the people, but you're going to boldly speak. You're going to be used of God. And I'm going to try to reach one person with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the year. And then I'm going to disciple them well enough that they'll go reach one. You kind of get the idea. One person a year, disciple them to go reach one a year. You know what would happen if we did that? If we got serious about it? You'd reach the whole world in just a little over 35 years. Every person on the planet would have an opportunity to be individually taught about Jesus would be able to decide whether to accept and would then be discipled to go forward and be productive soldiers for the Savior. And you may be sitting here tonight and you say, well, David, we got a problem. I'll just tell you right now, there's some people, they're never going to tell anybody, they're never going to share their faith, they're never going to let it matter to them at that level, they're never going to obey, the. they'll never do it. Guess what? We don't need them. We just need you. If one young person, if one adult... Now, it'd be great if we could get hundreds or if we could get thousands or tens of thousands because guess what? You could trade years off if we would start the numbers more quickly. But you know what? We need a revival of boldness. Dr. Lutzer tells the story, and it's kind of sad. There were churches in Germany during what we'll call the Nazi reign. Now, they were different than us, but you'd like the churches. A different time period, different language, but they preached the Bible. They were, you know, they'd have good songs and rousing fellowship and doctrinally were pretty sound. And due to the climate, a lot of times they'd keep their windows open because then air would flow through their buildings and they could enjoy the outside as well as the freshness of the outside while they would have their service, but things began to get strange in Germany, and originally it was just thought weird relocation. People were being moved in mass urgently, and they weren't in what you would call comfortable transportation, but it was a time of war, it was adjustment, and so there would be a lot of what you would call cargo or even animal-type haulers, boxes and just full of people moving down the tracks. And again, nobody quite knew what was going on. It was relocations. It was readjustments. And so the church made the decision to just close the windows. You know, it's just easier. You know, there's noise out there. There's people on the trains. As that train rolls by, that, that's, it, it's interrupting our services. And so they decided to seal up the building a little better where they didn't have to hear the people on the train and the chatter as things would move by. Well, as you would imagine, word begins to get through the country that this is not relocation. These are trips from which people do not return. The horrific Holocaust is occurring. People are dying, and and 
obviously the people that are now on the train are in panic. And they would see a church in the distance and they'd see people in the building and they would cry out, oh, help. And, and they would, as the train would go by, they'd be handing out children or anything. And what the church did was so it wouldn't interrupt their services, they would time the organs and the music to swell up and get very, very loud as the trains would go by. And they wouldn't have to hear the cries of the people desperately requesting their help. I fear sometimes in America, we come in here, and I I love this church. I love the spirit. I love the energy. I I love your pastor. I love what you're doing for God. And you've certainly honored us to be here tonight. But I think sometimes we have great services, and we have great music, and, and great energy, and we then drown out the cries that are out there. While we don't yet have death camps or things that might be as easy to see as they had during that time in Germany, how many believe there's a hurting world out there? And they're looking at you, and they're looking at me. And are we going to attune our ear and say, Lord, there's some threatenings. You know, I I could... I could lose my job. I could face some persecution. I I could have some difficulty. Maybe my neighbor won't think as well of me. Maybe something will, maybe I'll have to pay something for my faith. I mean, I had to have conversations with commissioners in your state that are under a temporary order from a judge not to pray in Jesus' name. And while we're waiting for the Supreme Court to hear, they've been kind of moving through a time of protest. But one of the questions is, what happens if we defy the court order? What happens if we just say, yeah, that's what the judge said, but we're going to do it anyway? And when you have to explain to people, well, you could face, you know, the full penalty for defying a court order. It's called contempt of court. You're not obeying. And what could the judge do? He could fine you. He could incarcerate you. He could do a lot of things. They they have federal marshals. That's what they do. And when you have to make a decision and, and you see the threatenings that are there and you say, what are the threatenings? But then the prayer. Would you grant unto, and put your name right in there. Grant unto me. Grant unto you. Grant unto each person here. Grant unto your pastor. Grant unto those that are having to stand that we would boldly declare. Support your church. Be behind it as it boldly declares. Encourage your families. Put the time and effort in. If if you're not regularly praying, this is your moment to say, you know what? While we still have this freedom. And then would you as an individual say, you know what? There's people out there that need my help. They're crying out. And I have the answer in the word of God. Am I willing to boldly declare? I pray you'd make that the prayer of your heart. And how many believe together, if we effectually and fervently pull together, God can do much in this country. None of this catches him by surprise. He is on the throne. How many rejoice that we've read the back of the book? (laughs) Guess what? We win. But you know what? We have to be willing to say, you know what, we're going to stand for what we know to be right. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to close this with a word of prayer here and then share one more thing with you. But before I do, you say, David, the, the Lord spoke to me tonight. And I came out to be part of this church. I love this church and, and I'm honored to be here. But I do want to be more fervent in my prayer life. I want God to do much. And and David, I do want to take that Acts 429. I want some boldness. I'm going to support this church to be bold. I'm going to be a bold family. I want to be a bold individual. We need a revival of boldness. That's the prayer of your heart. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. We're not counting or taking names, but would you slip a hand up and back down if that's the prayer of your heart? Lord, make me more bold. Father, you've seen our hands and More importantly, you've seen our hearts. And Lord, these dear people have honored us by being here. And we look at what's going on in our country, how we were founded on Christian values and how we have drifted from those. 
And Lord, as a nation, we seek your forgiveness. You've blessed us, you've prospered us as a nation, and we have not properly honored or praised you. But Lord, as your people now, we do want to reinvigorate our commitment to prayer and complete dependence on you. You are the all-powerful creator. You're the sovereign God. You're the savior of the world. But Lord, at times we as mere men want to depend on our efforts and not fully rely on you, the God who can do much. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for Dr. Davey, the others here in leadership, the the great men and women that make this ministry go, the wonderful members that are here, the folks that visit regularly and are here tonight. And Lord, we see what's going on in our country. But our prayer right now is, Lord, despite the threatenings, that you would give each and every one of us that commitment to boldly declare your truth. And Lord, we're going to anchor ourselves to your word and Lord, we, we do pray for continued blessing and freedom. I, I fight and stand for that across the nation. But Lord, regardless of whether you bless us with that or not, our prayer is that we would boldly stand up for you. In the great and matchless name of Jesus, I pray, and all God's people said, amen. We have a monthly letter that we put out from the National Center for Life and Liberty where we ask if you would, number one, pray for the cases. And how many believe prayer does move the hand of God? And and we need, I'm a trial attorney, I'm in courtrooms every week of my life, and we need God to move in these cases. And then number two, if you can, this is above and beyond your church support. How many believe you ought to put tithes and offerings in your church, support it, be generous? But if you can ever help us financially, we would always be grateful. Uh, My world, as I have mentioned, um, I am a trial attorney, I'm in court every week. Then number two, we work on policy. We work with legislators. We had a situation over McDowell County where a little first grade girl was punished by her principal for using the word God in her school paper. How many think that ought not happen in North Carolina? And so we changed the policy at school board level, actually now have legislation in Raleigh where hopefully that freedom will be in place for school children, for future generations in the state. And so we work in the courts, we work with the policymakers. And then number three, I do try to be a voice. It was mentioned, I do the weekly uh, radio show, Law Talk Live, that is put out through Moody. It's uh, from noon to one Eastern time. You can log in if you want to online or on an app. I'm also on the BBN radio network with uh, Law Talk Weekend and doing a daily Law Talk 5, so a lot of radio. Also do some Fox News uh, where I speak and comment on issues and try to be a voice and then have the privilege of being in pulpits across America and certainly honored to be here. Dr. Davey and the team here allowing me to be part of your summer series. It is indeed a privilege. But how many believe we all need to be a voice in America right now? This is, again, a new organization. CLA, some of you were familiar with before, is focused on evangelism at this point. And uh, my dad just moved to Ohio. He's turning 70, and it's going to be kind of his preaching platform. We are doing the cases and the legal work across America. So I don't think anybody here is on our mailing list, just so you're clear on that if some of you are confused. I would ask that you uh, remain in prayer for the Supreme Court as they weigh out what many are calling now could become the biggest religious liberty decision for generations. They're looking at this much like the 1962 and 1963 cases uh, where prayer and Bible reading were challenged in America's public schools. The question now is, will the name Jesus, will prayer at all, will the Congress be able to open with prayers? Will any government agency be able to open with prayer? And we will keep you alerted, but I believe the oral arguments are going to be the first week of November. And we do need to pray that the Supreme Court gets it right. We certainly don't believe that government should be endorsing or pushing one religion at the expense of another. But how many believe we all ought to be able to be adult enough or mature enough to allow people to still pray according to their tradition and allow that to continue in America. Uh, You take Rowan County, three people out of the whole county complain, and all of a sudden three people and one judge override what's gone on for 70 years. 
And people say, well, you know, back in 1962 and 63, you know, where were the Christians? Where were the churches? Why didn't we rise up? Well, I'm telling you now, there are definitely battles being waged across America, and we would definitely covet and appreciate your prayers very, very much as we march forward. It was mentioned, uh, we do have the three offices. In Washington, D.C., we're meeting with the Congress each and every week. Uh, The Lord has opened up some very unique relationships. I was recently talking with Senator Ted Cruz. Some of you followed him uh, from the state of Texas. Senator Cruz is a member at the First Baptist in Houston, a good church down there. And when he originally wanted to run for the Senate, he polled the whole state of Texas, kind of a big state. He spent a lot of money. And he polled at 1% with a 3% margin of error. He said, I started out at negative two. He said it was not good, you know, paid money to find out nobody knew who I was. But the Lord opened it up where he was then elected. But uh, when I was speaking with him, he said, David, we are facing a constitutional crisis in America. He said a lot of people think the government gives them their rights. How many understand the government doesn't give you your rights? The government is supposed to not infringe upon your God-given rights. That's what our founding fathers talked about. Your rights were from God himself. And uh, we are talking, uh, there's some legislation that is being proposed in the Congress this fall. One would free up the pulpit. Pastors would have no fear of losing their tax-exempt status for anything that they say in the pulpit, including dealing with political candidates. And I'm not saying you should preach every sermon on politics, but how many believe pastors ought to be free to say whatever the Lord leads them to say? We should not have where there is any restraint or any chill and uh, talking about getting that removed. And then also trying to get removed the attorney's fee provision where uh, when a county or a school board is sued that the other side is able to get these attorney's fees because that ends up putting a lot of pressure on these government agencies not to stand up for prayer, not to stand up for our historic traditions or our culture. So working on that in Washington would appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much. Let me say this. We do help your church. And uh, how many appreciate a church that does things excellently as unto the Lord? This ministry here, uh, David is executive pastor, Dr. Davey and others in leadership do a great job and certainly honored to be a resource and a help to this great ministry. But if we can ever help you, I hope you don't have a problem. How many hope never to go to jail for the rest of your life? Okay, if that's your, you know, we we hope to keep you free and moving forward. Uh, But if something does come up, uh, maybe it's a workplace, maybe it's a family issue, maybe it's a situation where you feel that your liberties or even the life of your loved one is in some threat, uh, please Please give us the privilege of serving you. Uh, We do this as a ministry, attorneys defending in these cases at no cost across America. We do it by faith. Covet your prayers and honored to serve you. Thank you for your grace and allowing me to be here tonight. I think David's going to come with a closing comment and we will be done. Thank you. Thank you. Father, thank you for a wonderful evening. And our hearts are stirred for our nation. That was our prayer at the beginning of the hour. And Lord, my mind's just scrambled as I think of um, the seriousness of what we're facing. We know that, but we take it for granted. And the train cars keep driving by. So help us to pray. That is our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Give us boldness to do something. This we ask. For the honor and glory of our Savior in His name. Amen.